Well, good morning. It's good to be back in community and to be able to worship the Lord together. Uh, that's our desire. And uh, today we're going to be in a text in, in Luke chapter 17, so I'd encourage you to, to turn there and we'll, we'll come to that in just a minute. Uh, last week we began a series on, uh, called Faithful Presence. And the focus last week was on the first aspect of this, which is this truth that God is the faithful presence. God is a faithful presence uh, throughout the course of history and in our lives. He is a God who is personal, a God who is present, a God who does not leave us. And we can see that, and we looked at a few things last week, but, but again, just through the whole scope of Scripture, from the very beginning to the end, and even this week again, I was, I was thinking about different texts that uh, reflect that, and, and they are endless. But let me just give you a few examples again. In Genesis, with Adam and Eve, where God had, It records there that God was walking in the garden with them and how he was even looking for them and called out, where are you? And and you kind of, well, that's God. And it's this personalness of God and who walks with his people, which is this beautiful picture right there in the creation story. In Exodus 20, I was thinking of that one where in Exodus 20, when, when God gives the law to Moses and the people of Israel, the Ten Commandments begin with the phrase, I am the Lord your God. And then it goes into the rest of that. And it speaks to relationship. It speaks to this personalness of God. In Joshua, where Joshua was called to step into the promised land and to claim the inheritance that God had for the people of Israel. And right before he walks in there and the people of Israel go into the promised land, you remember this word that is being spoken back and forth, but God is speaking to the people. It says, be strong and courageous. Do not be discouraged or afraid. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Again, a reminder of the personalness of God. Psalm 23, one of the favorite psalms of so many people. And it's a psalm that speaks of this as well. Even when you walk through the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death, it says, I will fear nothing because God is with me. God walks beside me. The personalness. The intimacy with God. In Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus gives the Great Commission as we go into the New Testament, and He says that you need to go and make disciples, and He he calls the disciples, and He calls all who follow us as the church to go and make disciples. And you've been given all authority. Jesus says, I've been given all authority in, in heaven, and I give it to you, and I want you to go and make disciples in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And He says, and remember this, I am with you always even unto the end of the age, as you go. Relationship, presence, the personalness of God is seen throughout Scripture. Revelation 21, in the second last chapter of the Bible, it it has this beautiful image and this declaration again there. And it says there was a loud shout. And here's what it was shouted. God's home is now among His people. He will live with them. And they will be His people. God Himself will be with them. Over and over and over again in Scripture is this reminder that God is with us. That God is a faithful presence. And it's a truth that we need to hold on to. Even in those times and especially in those times when we feel like God is distant and God is silent. That we all experience. But to hold on to that truth by faith that God is present, God cares, and God is personal and real. It's a truth that is past, present, and future. 
So this week, we want to focus on the kingdom of God among us. Because God calls us also to be His faithful presence in the world. And to see and experience His kingdom in the here and now. And I shared a quote last week, and I want, I want to just put it up again for you. And it's from David Fitch, who says this about God's kingdom and about this faithful presence. Faithful presence names the reality that God is present in the world and that He uses a people faithful to His presence to make Himself concrete and real amid the world's struggles and pain. When the church is this faithful presence, God's kingdom becomes visible and the world is invited to join with God. Faithful presence is not only essential for our lives as Christians, it's how God has chosen to change the world. That's a big picture, a big mandate that we've been given. But this truth that the kingdom of God is here among us, yet its fullness is still to come. We live in the tension of the now and not yet, that the kingdom of God is now and it is also not yet in its fullness. And we feel it all the time, don't we? I mean, I do. You walk downtown in any large urban center, you see homelessness, you see poverty, you see hurt. You watch the news, you see wars, you see famine. You experience conflict in our relationships, brokenness. And we, we cry out, Lord, may Your kingdom come. May Your kingdom come. We feel it in so many ways where we feel the lack of it. And yet the truth is, and what we'll see this morning and what Jesus is declaring is that the kingdom of God is here. We need to have that kind of perspective, inviting and seeing and experiencing. So, a couple of short verses. Luke chapter 17, verses 20 to 21. It says how one day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? The Pharisees were the religious leaders of that day who were so well educated and steeped in Jewish tradition. They had heard about the coming Messiah. They had understood the language of the kingdom. And they had a certain picture in their mind of what the kingdom would look like. And that it would be a tangible kingdom in some kind of uh, political or military expression. We're not exactly sure. But they had this picture of a kingdom that in many ways would justify their religious perspectives and their way of life and how they thought about God. And Jesus messes with them all the time because He says, no, 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 it's not about that. And so what does He say? He says, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, well, here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. Or in other translations, it says it's already in your midst. What does this mean? The kingdom of God is among you. You know, the kingdom of God in many ways comes in phases, and in this expression of it in the New Testament, it comes with Jesus' life and ministry as He is among the people. Part of what He was, I'm sure, meaning was that Jesus is here and the kingdom is here because the kingdom is Jesus. He is the King. And yet it also means more than that. As we know and we read the rest of the story and Jesus gives His Holy Spirit and calls the church to be His expression in the world. If you read the chapter and you continue on, you see that it also speaks about the future aspect of the kingdom. When Jesus returns, and it speaks about the reality of God's judgment and how it will be unexpected and we should not be speculating about it. But what we're called to be is to be ready, to be faith-filled, and to be persistent. If you read the rest of chapter 17 and even the parable at the beginning of 18. And it's really speaking to this truth as we think about the future kingdom that we are 
not to prepare charts and try to understand the timing and the logistics of how it exactly happened, but it's really all about preparing our hearts in terms of readiness and preparedness and living with expectation to know that God's return and Jesus could happen at any time and to bring this kingdom in its fullness. And so to live that way. But here in these few verses, we see some really important verses in all of Scripture that point to this reality of the kingdom of God as present and now and some of the ways that we can engage in that. You know, if you think back to the Old Testament and the people of Israel, they, they had this language and this understanding of kingdom. They had this language and reality of kings and kingdoms. In fact, they weren't happy with the way God was present with them. And God was present with them in so many different ways throughout the course of the history of the people of Israel. But then if you remember in Samuel, when the prophet Samuel comes onto the scene and eventually the Israelite leaders, they meet with him and they, they say, you know what, we, we actually want a king. We want to be led differently. They weren't happy with being led with prophet and priest and judge. And now they wanted something more. They wanted to be like the nations around them. We want to be like those nations beside us. We want to have a king that will rule us. And Samuel warns against that and says this isn't really God's plan or God's design, but they clamor and persist. And what happens is God actually consents and gives them a king. Because they say, you know what? Even all your warnings, despite all your warnings, even so, we still want a king. And so the people of Israel in this Jewish history and culture understood kingdoms. They understood what it meant to have a king and some of the good and the bad of that. And there was lots of times when they regretted that and God regretted that as well too, as it says in Scripture. But the kingdom principle, interestingly, is not abandoned by God even as we come into the New Testament. It was steeped in Israel and steeped in the Old Testament, but it's also there in the New Testament throughout. Jesus picks up this language, uses this language over and over again, but as Jesus is apt to do, He completely redefines it. And he changes it radically from what these people would have understood it to be. And he changes its meaning and he changes what it looks like. He spoke of the kingdom often, and yet it seemed as a mystery, as he so often described it in metaphors. Let me just give you a sampling, all from Matthew chapter 13, one chapter in the New Testament. He says in verse 24, well, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who planted good seed. A little further on in verse 31 Jesus says, well, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Or 33, the kingdom of God is like yeast in baking that permeates throughout the dough. Verse 44, the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. 45, the kingdom of God is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearl. 52, the kingdom of God is like a homeowner and a storeroom of truth. If you want to do a fascinating study, just look up all the references to what is the kingdom of God like that Jesus teaches. It's just over and over again. There's a mystery to it. There's a beauty to it. There's something about it that, yeah, you get a taste of it. You get a glimpse of it. You think you've got it, and then it almost kind of eludes you. And it's sort of like this choice gold that you see glimmering in the rocks and that you're mining for, and you, you see just little glimmers of it, but there's just so much rock there but every once in a while, you see just a little bit of that gold. And it's like Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God is like. And he teaches with these metaphors, and he continues to build this mystery, and he says, it's not what you think. 
You think it's like this? It's different. You see the ways of the world? It's different. It's not about the power structures of the world. It's not the way that you think it's going to come in. Even to these religious leaders of the Pharisees, he's saying it's different. So he says, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. It's an upside-down kingdom, as it's been referred to. They wanted, the Pharisees wanted their approach affirmed, and Jesus didn't think so. He says, no, it's quite different. We could have a list that is endless, but as I thought of even just a few examples, I thought, what is the kingdom of God like? that I see in situations and people and relationships around me. The kingdom of God is when grace is given instead of revenge. Kingdom of God is when, is when showing love is more important than being right. The kingdom of God is when somebody repents and there's forgiveness and reconciliation. The kingdom of God is when a hardened heart softens and then softens again. Kingdom of God is when truth is dealt with, but love is so present. The kingdom of God is when somebody leverages their strength for the sake of another. The kingdom of God. So as I was thinking about this week, and I, I struggled, I've shared with a few, I struggled this week with this message because the topic of the kingdom of God is massive. It's like, how do you get handle around that and and throughout the fall and as we enter into some of these disciplines of faithful presence we'll get more specific into some of these things but there are postures and practices you might call them that help us to see and experience the kingdom of god we need to see differently we need to look differently we need to observe the world differently we need to observe our situations and our life differently whatever the case may be. But as I was praying about this this week and reflecting on it, it it came down to three things for me that I want to share with you. And I I hesitate to distill it down to three things because it's so much more than this, but this was helpful for me. And I hope it is for you. And think of it as maybe three movements, upward, inward, and outward. And so the first one is about upward. If we're talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is about the king. It's about Jesus, first and foremost. And so, the kingdom of God is about focusing on the king, that upward look. That we need to have a continual focus on Jesus in all situations, in every circumstance. That that Jesus is where our focus needs to continually be. Not on ourselves, and even not on our own limitations. And even this week, as I was struggling with this message, and beating myself up at times, I know none of you ever do that, but it's like, oh, I'm just so inadequate. How can I preach this? And it's like, and then all of a sudden I realize, you know what? When I do that, the focus is now on me. And that misses the point, which is why it's not about me and it's not about you. It's about the king. And so the kingdom of God is about keeping our focus on the king. And we need to continually remind ourselves of that. We can also lose our focus when our gaze starts to just go at all the issues around us. And how do we change the world? And how do we change this situation? And how do we fix this problem and so on and so we start to get fixated on the issues and this and the challenges that we see in the world all over the place and they can overwhelm us 
And it reminds me that again, we need to focus on the king, on the one who can change everything. And so being kingdom people and being the faithful presence of God in the world requires us to focus on the king. I think of Hebrews 12, where the author of Hebrews talks about we need to strip off the weight that slows us down, including the sin that trips us up. I mean, think of all the things that fall into those two categories, the things that slow us down and the sin that trips us up. And keep your eyes on Jesus, the perfecter of your faith. And then you won't get weary and give up, but you can run with endurance. Or I think of Philippians 3 where Apostle Paul is talking about uh, he had been focused on himself and a lot of culture focused on their credentials and their background. And he says, well, if you want to play that game, I can do that. And he's a Roman citizen and all the things of his background. But he says, I consider all of this garbage. But there's one thing that I do. He says, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I keep pressing on towards Christ Jesus. And it's this constant call and reminder to focus on the King. To look up. To not just be overwhelmed with the circumstances around us. To not be overwhelmed with our own inadequacies or how we don't measure up. But to realize that there is a king of the kingdom who gives us power. And who is the one who can change things. I was also thinking about how we approach, as I alluded to, the issues in our world. And it caused me to think about the theological approach of of thinking of a bounded set and a centered set. Let me explain. It's pretty simple, really. When we think of a bounded set in terms of how we approach theology, we're focusing on the perimeter, on the periphery, on what is it that keeps the boundaries. The centered set is when we focus on the center of our theology, on who Jesus is, and we are called to be a people who focus on the center and on the kingdom. Because here's another way that we can take the focus off the king. Sometimes we get so caught up in marking the boundaries of the kingdom, and we we want to make sure that people are walking the boundaries of the kingdom to make sure that we can always mark who's in and who's out of the kingdom, right? What's acceptable, what's not? And it's this boundary marking, this boundary view, this this constant gaze that looks to the boundary of the kingdom. And so the history of the church has so often been filled with this, with wanting clear black and white rules on a whole range of issues so that we can maintain the borders. Because then we'll be safe and we'll know who's in, we'll know who's out. I mean, the church has tried to do that for years. But it's also where we get so lost. We lose sight of the king as our focus, who's at the center. You know, I've had pressures as a pastor and as a leader in the church for years, over the years, on all kinds of issues. Pressure to make all kinds of declarative statements, strong, definitive, declarative, simple, one-sentence statements about a whole range of issues. I mean, take your pick. From sexuality and gender identity to divorce to the Catholic Church to assistance in dying, to racism, to white supremacists, to the KKK, to the environment and global warming, to gambling and casinos, to movies and entertainment. I mean, take your pick, right? People who want to say, where are the boundaries? Like, pastor, give us the boundary markers. Like, give us the one definitive statement that will actually make it all real simple for us. It's interesting, though. We, I don't get the same pressure to make those statements about pride and materialism and gluttony and the kind of houses we live in, the kind of vacations we go on, those kinds of things. But right? But it's not that simple because we need to be engaged with people in our culture and face the issues in a unique way that speaks truth into it, 
but always is up close and personal with love as well. Because you see, how we do that is so important. And I think we can learn better ways of engaging our culture in the truth and holiness of God, which will come up more in the last two points of my message and also throughout the fall. But, but truth, you see, is not a grenade to be tossed over a wall. Truth is, is not a spear to throw or a missile to launch from a distance at a target. As I was thinking about this week, I thought truth is this treasure to be held carefully and to be examined in close proximity in community. Focused on the King and the love of Jesus and the desire to honor Him above all things. That we see our own brokenness in this and that we also love and care for people deeply. And so we need to engage in our culture courageously. We need to engage in issues wisely and closely and to speak truth and to live truth. But the focus must always be more on the one who is truth, the King. The focus has to always, first and foremost, and throughout, always be on Jesus as we engage in issues of the kingdom that are messy and personal, where truth and love are both found there in the midst of it. And as I said, it always starts with recognizing our own brokenness and the need for the cross. Which brings me to the second aspect. We need the upward focus of focus on the king. And the second part is we need that inward focus of experiencing the king. Of actually experiencing Jesus. And knowing the love of Jesus in a way that changes us. Personally, it's about recognizing our own sin in the light of the holiness of God and our own brokenness and need for forgiveness. In community, it's about walking in this ministry of reconciliation that God has given us. And being tenacious about that and committed to that with one another. As you see, in His presence, God renews all things. We need to intentionally be in His presence. Make time for His presence. Make that a priority in our lives to experience the King. Because we'll never be perfect. We walk as wounded healers, as has been coined. But we're able to be the imperfect and broken reflection of the perfect Jesus in a hurting and broken world. And you know what? It's actually our brokenness and our weakness that makes us have something beautiful to offer. I was thinking of that. I, I call it stumbling transformation. First, we, we have to gather and become truly present to God and to know and experience the love of Jesus and to allow God to change us. But it's only in our imperfect, stumbling, but ongoing transformation and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we have anything to offer the world. Because you see, otherwise we're only operating on our own strength. Do we see our brokenness? Do we see our need to experience the King? When we've encountered the presence of the living God through Jesus, we, we bring that experience to community. And it's there that there's forgiveness, reconciliation, hope, healing, transformation, patience, and best of all, love. Extravagant love. And you know, in many ways, the, the church should be what ends up happening as a natural response to people wanting to follow us and to be with us, and to be like us as we are following the King and keeping our eyes on Jesus. As Hugh Holter calls it, this is called the tangible kingdom that is seen by others around us as we walk with Jesus. We want to be like Philip. If you look in John chapter 1 where Philip, after experiencing Jesus, he runs out and he wants to find a friend. And he wants to find Nathaniel and he says, you know what? You need to come and see for yourself. You need to see this Jesus who changes people. 
Because Philip was so transformed by encountering Jesus and experiencing the king that he wanted to tell his friend and invite his friend along. So he goes and looks for Nathanael and says, come and see. Or the woman at the well in John chapter 4 who encounters Jesus at the well and is so transformed and so challenged, even though Jesus speaks truth into her life, hard truth into her life, but he loves her. And she can handle this truth and this love are so beautifully together that she goes back to her village and says, you need to come and see this person who knows everything about me and who changes me. And so it's this invitation to experience the king and to tell others about our transformation and to show others the transformation that can happen as we encounter Jesus up close and personal. And then thirdly, the outward focus that we need to model the king. We need to focus on the king upwardly. We need to experience the king inwardly. And we need to model the king outwardly. To model Jesus in terms of walk in his footsteps. To do what Jesus did. To go where Jesus went. To be with the kind of people that Jesus was with. You see, the kingdom breaks in when we follow in Jesus' footsteps in that way. And again, as I said, it doesn't require sinless obedience as if that's possible. It just means increasingly becoming people of justice and mercy and kindness and strength and hope and generosity and hospitality and to continue to be people of this stumbling transformation. You know, Jesus came to serve and sacrifice for others. This is the king. I don't think the Pharisees had that in mind at all when they asked that question. They said, when is the kingdom going to come? And Jesus modeled something so radically different, I don't think they had a paradigm for it. He eventually went to the cross to die on their behalf. This was not the king they expected. And in fact, the disciples, not long after they had been arguing about who would be greatest in the kingdom, and after they were wrestling with, well, who would actually sit next to the right hand of Jesus, then... Jesus is in the upper room with them. And what does he do? Well, here's the most powerful person in the room. And he washes their feet. Once again, Jesus models and he he points to this surprising kingdom, which is not like anything that they had imagined. And it comes in humility and it comes in sacrifice. And he takes a towel and a basin and he washes their feet. And so we model the king. We model serving others. We we come to each other with a towel over our arm ready to serve and say, how can I serve you? How can we submit ourselves one to another to arrange ourselves under other people, to humble ourselves to do for others what they maybe can't do for themselves and to serve one another and to be that kind of church. And so we need to come with a towel and a basin to model the king. When we do that, the kingdom is present. The kingdom is revealed. The, the kingdom breaks through. You know, in in a practical way, Kevin mentioned the ministry fair that we have and the opportunities to serve. It's your opportunity to just take a towel and to put it over your arm and say, how will I serve the body of Christ on a weekly basis? How will I serve in areas where there is need? How will I serve in places where I can use my gifts? Or maybe it's not even about using my gifts. It's just actually meeting a need for the sake of another. And to serve in our body and i'd also say to consider how will we serve in our community in the broader city of saskatoon that we're thinking about how do we serve our city how do we serve our faith community that we have that posture 
and attitude and modeling of the king to come as a faithful servant. I want to invite you to stand and invite the worship team to come up and they're going to lead us in response and in song. And I want to just have us pray the Lord's Prayer as a response uh, to this. And again, to be reminded that we would, as we think about the kingdom, that we would have these three postures or movements that would be inward to focus on the king, that would be, or sorry, upward to focus on the king, inward to, to, to experience the king, and outward to model the king. And let's pray this Lord's Prayer, which speaks of this kingdom, and it's this invitation to the kingdom. And let's pray this prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.